Now let's pray as we come to God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon as a needy people. Lord Jesus, we want to love you and to emulate your love. And Holy Spirit, would you come afresh and make this your word, which we're about to read, clear to us. Come and pour light in dark places. For Jesus' sake, Amen. So we're in 1 John, and the first John's first letter, and chapter 2. The first letter to John, chapter 2 and verse 7. A couple of weeks ago we did verses 3 to 6. Starting at verse 7, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his holy and inerrant word. I imagine most in this room would know the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. It's an anthem, isn't it? All You Need Is Love. And uh, some of you may remember it, but may not admit it. Or there's Tina Turner's little ditty, What's Love Got To Do With It? All You Need Is Love, What's Love Got To Do With It? Well, for John, it had everything, everything to do with it. Last time we introduced the general principle that John is beginning to expand here in chapter 2. Namely, that if we are believers, if we are Christians, if we walk in the light, if we are in union with Jesus Christ, then we will have a desire to obey and keep his commandments. We often get that the wrong way round, don't we? That we think that in order, in order to be in union with Christ, we have to obey and keep his commandments. But no, it's that we are in union with Christ, that is our possession, and, and the evidence of that is that there is a desire to keep and obey his commandments. And now comes a specific test of this, a specific example, a social test. We are to love on and one another, we are to love one another as the people of God. There is a piece of doggerel, I think Alan Sobot quoted it yesterday, and I actually had it printed here as well. To live above with those you love, is, I think I've got written down is undiluted glory, I'm not sure what Alan said. To live below with those you know, that is quite a different story. And uh, I think that's really, really honest, isn't it? That we are quite happy to look forward to living above. But the test is living below with those you know. But the text we have this afternoon, I want to look at, upon it, look at it along three lines of thought. First of all, I want us to see the command of love. Secondly, the example of love. And thirdly, the specifics of love. The command to love, firstly. John is saying that this command is not new. It's an old commandment that they had heard from the beginning. Now, John may be saying one of two things, and he may well be saying both. He may be saying that they've heard this over and over and over 
from John himself. Every preacher does have pet themes. John's was love. He was always preaching about love. John loved to talk about love. He was an example of love. Do you remember what they called him before he became a disciple of Jesus? He was one of the sons of thunder. He was a son of thunder. The son of thunder became the apostle of love. That was John. The son of thunder became the apostle of love. Jerome translated the Old and New Testament into Latin, and that became the Bible for about a thousand years, right up to the Reformation. And Jerome said about the Apostle John that in his old age, he was in the church in Ephesus. He was very old. He was in the church in Ephesus. But he wasn't able to preach anymore. So they carried him in on a chair. And they brought him down to the front. They carried him in on a chair. And all he would simply say in quite a weak voice was, love one another. Love one another. He would just keep saying, love one another. And when they asked John why he would say this, he said, because it is the Lord's commandment. And if you do this, it is everything. So John is saying here, you've heard me preach about this before. And if there is one thing that you do know, and if there is one thing that is not new to you, it is this, love one another. He was really happy to, to go and preach the same message week after week. I remember once um, after preaching in Vienna, someone came up to me and said, you really need to change your message, you know. You say the same thing every week. And it wasn't, it wasn't the most encouraging thing I'd ever heard said to me. But, uh, but I mean, I, I'm not sure we would have said that to the Apostle John, would we? But then he will return to it in the course of his epistle. He has lots of things to say about love. And he'll expand it a little further. He's not done with it now. He's just introducing it here. But he may mean, by saying that, something more than that. He may mean that it is not new because it is old, and it is old because it is in the Old Testament. And I think John is really conscious that in his congregation was a Jewish audience, a converted Jewish audience, Jews who had become Christians, Jews who knew the Old Testament, Jews who knew the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus is a difficult book. How many times it's almost like, you know, people say, yeah, I started reading through the Bible, I got to Leviticus, and I thought I'd come back later. But Gandhi, you know, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi began to read the book of the Bible. He said he'd read the Bible, and he gave up at Le Leviticus. But right at the heart of Leviticus is the Holiness Code, as it is sometimes called with all its legislation for the church and its infancy as to what holiness might mean in terms of not touching and not tasting and sacred places and sacred times. But right in the middle of it, in chapter 18, is to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. So it is an old commandment. This isn't something new. I haven't brought anything new this afternoon. But out of this treasure of Scripture... I have brought something old, and it is a commandment which says, love one another. So that is the command, to love one another. And secondly, the example of love, 1 John 2 and verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
And John is thinking about union with Christ. It's been a lot on my mind in recent weeks, our union with Christ. It's not something we attain to, it's not something we create, it's something we possess. Our communion with Christ, our fellowship with Christ. And John loves this little word abide or remain, you could translate it that as well. He uses it 40 times. John uses it 40 times in his gospel. He uses it 25 times in his epistles. So he must love it, mustn't he? He must love this word abide. And John had thought over and over as to the consequences and as to the meaning and as to the depth of what it means to be in union and communion with Jesus Christ. And one of the consequences of being in union with Jesus Christ is that you want to walk like Jesus. You want to be like him. If we are in union with him, we want to walk like him. We want to be like him. And he's appealing and he's saying to them, you've heard this. I think John is saying, you've heard about it in my book. You've, written, you've read the gospel. And the gospel was known now in the church in Ephesus. They knew John's gospel. They had read it. It had been read to them over and over. They had it on the Lord's Day. And John is perhaps signalling to us here from his gospel, I have told you what love looks like. I have told you what it's written about the one who came into this world and brought light into this dark world. And it is still as true today. We live in a dark world. I just thought about it. Someone was writing about, you know, on the very day when, when the COVID restrictions lit, were, were relaxed, then the same day Putin invaded Ukraine. And it's almost like you scroll, you, you, you scroll your phone and the news goes from bad news to very bad news to very, 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 very bad news. We do live in a dark world. But, but Jesus came to bring light. And that message is still as poignant and as pertinent today as it was in John's day. And that's the metaphor that John is implying, along with love, the metaphor of light and darkness. And I think it's quite, it's probably quite meaningful that the day I'm preaching on light, the light is actually shining in for the first time for weeks. I actually enjoyed it. I got a bit of vitamin D without taking a tablet today. But the one who does not love is in darkness, and the one who does, not, who does love is in the light. The one who doesn't love is in the darkness, but the one who loves is in the light. And the way that you know that you are in the light is that you have love. So he's mixing his metaphors for sure. And as he wrote his gospel, he did the same. He alluded to Jesus on the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted for about a week. And in John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, there was this little ritual that they would come and they would light candles and they would put them on the floor of the outer courts of the sanctuary. And the temple on the last day of the feast, especially at night, would have been wonderfully lit up with this kind of glow of light from the candles. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And do you remember how John goes on to describe in the second half 
of his gospel. That extraordinary thing that Jesus did when he took the disciples aside in the upper room. He divested himself of his outer garments, wrapped a towel around him and begin, began to do the unthinkable to wash the disciples' feet. And you remember as he portrayed himself, Jesus, the light of the world, portrayed himself in terms of a lowly servant of God. If you remember what Jesus said to the disciples at the end of John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. So when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, what is different? What is different? Well, just think with me a bit on this. What are the commands about loving? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbour. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Love your enemies. Now, it makes sense, you see. It makes sense. If you love your enemy, it means you sacrifice what you want for what God declares is best for your enemy. But what is interesting is, why all of a sudden this new commandment that Jesus gives in John, and that John refers to as he writes his epistle, what is the new commandment? The new commandment, understand even by those who read this, was that we are to love one another as Christ loved us. Now, it has two elements that make it new. The new elements are one another and the example of Christ who loved us. We're to love one another as Christ loved us. The difference is one another. Now, if you want to know who the one another's are, it is really easy. When Jesus gave the commandment, his disciples were the only ones in the room. Now, just to kind of ease your mind, one of those disciples was Judas. So it does not mean that every disciple there was a believer. But it does mean that all the disciples gathered in the room claimed to be disciples of Jesus, claimed to be followers of Jesus, claimed to know what he was teaching or trying to understand what he was teaching. And he turns to them and says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And the new part is the object, which is different. It isn't God. It isn't your neighbour. It's not your husband or wife. It is not even your enemies. It is one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what made this new commandment new. That's the new commandment that John is talking about. John is picking up that thought that he had written. A word that he remembered Jesus saying in the upper room to John and the other disciples. And is inserting it here in his second chapter of his first letter. And he says, remember the old commandment that you've heard over and over. That you love one another. And that love, love is exemplified for us in Jesus Christ. Love like Jesus loved because the light has come. And John is saying, whenever you think about love and what love means. And when you want to define what love looks like. And you want a template for what love might look like in the body of Christ. Well, look to Jesus. John, John is saying, think of him who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. 
Love like that, a self-denying love. The specifics of love. There is a hymn that says, Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels thy blood so freely shed for me, a heart resigned, submissive, meek, my great Redeemer's throne, where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone. A humble, lowly, contrite heart, believing true and clean, which neither life nor death can part from him that dwells within. A heart in every thought renewed and full of love divine, perfect and right and pure and good, a copy, Lord, of thine. That is it. This is it exactly. That's what John is saying here. I want you to love one another and I want you to love like Jesus loves. If you pray, really pray that prayer, and I mean really pray that prayer this afternoon, I want a heart like the heart of Jesus. What would that look like? Well, let me get a little bit specific. The third part of this afternoon. The specifics of love. What will it look like? Let me suggest, first of all, that we begin with the people around us in church. We need to greet one another. We need to know one another. We need to be friendly. We need to be kind. We need to love one another. So when you greet people, tell them how glad you are that they are here. Whichever way you do it, it does not matter. But love one another and mean it. And I, I love it when we have visitors to the church because they're, bro- they're brothers and sisters in Christ. You recognise them a mile off. Christ died for them. Love one another. What does the text have to say about criticism? John is not saying when he says love one another that there will never be, ever be any disagreements. We know that's not the truth. There will be disagreements. There are always disagreements. There will be disagreements until we get to glory. So John isn't saying that emotions of dissent are to be suppressed. John isn't saying that we don't care about doctrine. Of course not. John is concerned about that as any man. John is not saying that there are times when you actually have to endure the fellowship from a certain person. But don't be a serial critic. Don't be a serial critic. One man gave a testimony and he he told of a man, his son grew up and he listened to him criticise the minister and the members of the church year after year. And as a consequence, because all that boy ever heard was criticism of the minister and the church, he, he was turned off church and today he's far from God. And this man pleaded with others, Don't criticise like that, or you'll destroy your children too. Don't be a serial critic. Isn't that a powerful statement? And that's what John is saying in his letter. If you criticise for no good reason, you're attacking yourself because we're one body in Christ. If you're critical for no good reason, you're actually attacking yourself because we are one body in Jesus Christ. To attack others with your tongue is to attack Christ, the head of the body. So what is really at stake here? What is really at stake here, and let me suggest to you what John might be saying here, what is really at stake here is that this is a symptom of your heart. 
And John is saying there is desperate, there's something desperately wrong in your heart if you live your life like that. I've seen it. I've seen it in other churches. I've seen it in a church where the people of God are torn apart. And they can barely speak to each other anymore. I've known Christians who name, who profess to be Christians, who bore, who bear grudges. Not about primary things, about doctrine, but about secondary things. Things of no importance whatsoever. And they've borne grudges for years and they are the most miserable of people. They're truly miserable. They're miserable to be with. They're lonely. And they will die in loneliness because it is like a cancer that eats you up. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It's so sobering. Whenever we are loving one another, it isn't easy. It's not easy. It's difficult to do. Because our true nature is to hate others. And our true nature sometimes are to do what we want rather than what they want, to build a case against them, to find every excuse not to look at our own sin as we deal with each other, to hate our brother. And yet the scripture says, if we hate one another, we're still in darkness. Now darkness, it does not mean much to us, to be honest, because we flick a switch, especially in my house, because the bulbs are so white, and the whole house lights up. We don't know much about darkness, to be honest. We don't know what it is like to be in the dark, to be separated. But when we hate one another, we are in the dark. But then there's this positive example that he gives in verse 10. Whoever loves his brother. John is, if you remember what I told you about his pet theme is love. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And it, it really is talking about an attitude of heart. If you love your brother more than you love yourself, you sacrifice to do what is best for that brother. Whoever does that abides, lives, dwells in the light, dwells in the commandment of God. To dwell, to live is part of everything you do. When things get tough, people run home, don't they? And I was struck when things, if you remember those early days of 2020, when people were stuck overseas and they would, remember that, that rush to get home. There is, there is a desire to get home. We want to go home. Why? Because when we're at home, there is assurance, there is comfort, and there is love. And there's the picture here. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Think of that not only as you obey God and sacrifice what you want for what is best, your brother and sister in Christ. What are you doing? You're abiding in the light. You're obeying the commandments. But you're abiding in eternity as well. Because we are going to spend eternity with each other. And we don't, we don't we're not going to, that, that isn't something, by the way, that we're looking forward to. It started the day Christ saved us. We're going to spend eternity with each other. Eternity starts now when we know him. So it doesn't start when we get to heaven. It's, we started when Christ saved us. So every day now is our training area, if you like. It's like boot camp. And it is our training area. This is where we prepare. This is where we practice. This is where we work on it. 
I'll quote it again. To live with those, to live above with those you love is undilated glory. To live below with those you know, that is quite a different story. And the only problem is that sin is here. And it makes it difficult. So we suffer as we try to love one another the way Christ suffered as he loved us. We will abide in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will not be stumbling about. You'll not be knocking your knees on hidden furniture. You'll see the furniture. I don't know, the worst thing I find is, you know when you hit your knee on something, something low hanging which you kind of missed? It's, it's really painful. But you'll see the, the furniture. You'll see the difficulties. God's word points out so many things in our lives to avoid. Those hidden little things. So many things in our lives that we ought to long for. It helps us to live. And then it's his purpose. What would the church look like? If it began to adopt what John is saying here, there would be congregations that would be kind, be patient, it doesn't envy, where folk aren't proud or rude or self-seeking, where no one is easily angered, no one keeps a record of wrongs. They don't delight in evil, they rejoice in the truth. Where folk protect and trust, and are quick to hope and persevere. Where do I get that from? 1 Corinthians 13. Because that's where Paul says, this is what love looks like. And I, I didn't just make that up. I was paraphrasing what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me get even more personal. I was going to say if I haven't offended anybody, so, but I will now. Because John doesn't mince his words here. This is the apostle of love. And John says, do you want to know how serious this is? Do you want to know how really serious this is? If you don't love your brother or sister, you're in darkness. And there is this possibility that I can't escape. I can't escape it because John forces me to say it. There is a possibility that someone might actually hate their brother or sister. That's the possibility that John is speaking about. He's speaking about it in the church of Ephesus. So if it's true for Ephesus, it could be true for any church. A relationship that has gone sour. You can't think about that person without stacking up the negative thoughts and wishing them ill. I want to see them get their comeuppance. Eating up with jealousy. Eating up with self-righteousness. That you are better than everyone else. And my dear friend... What John is saying is that the problem is in our hearts. The problem is an unwillingness to be reconciled. It's an unwillingness for me to say I am sorry. How many things would be solved if I said I am sorry? Not always wait for that person to say it, but to say I am sorry. See, the fragrance of Jesus hangs around someone who is quick to repent. The fragrance of Jesus. And John, this dear old man who can't preach anymore, says, you're in darkness, my friend. You're in terrible darkness. Love one another. There's so much behind that. And John would come and say, look to Jesus. 
Look to the dying Son of God. That's how much he loved you. That is how much he loves you. With all of your sin, with all of your ugliness, he loved us to the very end. There's something about redemption, my friend. I think my wife told me that West spoke about it this morning. About something that we enjoy as redeemed sinners, that even the angels can't. With, with all of our sin, with all of our ugliness, he loves us. And if we believe in him, we're clothed in his righteousness. Having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the end. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we began to love like that? If we began to love like Jesus loved. May that be our portion, here and every day. Love like that. For his glory. Amen.